0: everybody. How's everyone going? I hope everyone has had an awesome weekend. I've had a great weekend. I went down to the Mornington Peninsula just to get away for two days and just had a ball. It was lovely to get away with my wife for our first little weekend away. Just a little cheeky plug. I thought I need to get that in there. Well, my name is Adam. I'm the junior youth coordinator here at New Hope and it is my privilege to share with you guys tonight. If I was to ask those of you here who know me or those who I've come across how you would describe me, one of the words that would probably come up a lot is that I'm an extrovert. I'm one of those people that just love to be in conversation out there or the center of attention. I love that. Up here on stage is where I thrive. I love being up here, having a chat to you guys. I love chatting to you guys after the service. I love, in my week, walking up to random people, having chats to people. I remember on my Bucks night, I had a few dares from my, um, from my friends, and I had to go into the scene, and I had to have a chat to some random people, and they thought, ah, oh, this will stump him. Adam will never do this. I had long conversations at random tables with people. I started dancing in the middle of the street as a dare. I am an extrovert. And as a part of being that, I love being in good relationship with those around me. But the more I think about what it means to be in good relationship, what it means to be in life giving relationship, I think about what it means to get there. How can we take a relationship that's failing or broken and make it life giving? How can we take a relationship that's just okay and make it life giving? How can we take a relationship that's doing great, it's just doing awesome, and make it life-giving? See, I reckon that life-giving is like the gold standard for how we should want our relationships to be. Life-giving relationships are relationships that empower, they inspire us, they help us build capacity. They're that gold standard. And I think that they should be our benchmark. I think that life-giving relationships can push us to be better, stronger, willing to change, willing to adapt, willing to overcome. And tonight we're going to have a look at another life-giving relationship in the Bible. I don't know about you, or I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. You might be having a conversation with someone, and they ask you something along the lines of, oh, what are you up to this weekend? What are you doing Sunday night? What are you doing Friday night? And if you're like me, I instantly start analyzing that situation. I become a little bit like Doctor Strange in Infinity War where he analyzes every possible outcome for this situation. And I think to myself, do I, do I say that I'm going to church this weekend? Am I open about the fact that I'm a youth leader or do I just take the easy road and do I just say, oh, I'm just hanging out with friends? Oh, I'm just going to um, hang out with family. I wonder if you've ever been in that situation where you've had an opportunity to plant a seed, an opportunity to share a little bit about your faith and about yourself, but you didn't know how to take it. You didn't know where to go. Today we're going to look at a guy called Nicodemus in the Bible, and we're going to we're going to read from the Book of John three. So if you want to read along with me, feel free to grab out your Bibles or your smartphone. But I think I do a pretty good job at reading it out loud if you just want to sit back and listen. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious teachers of the, during the time of Jesus. He was actually one of the head religious teachers. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which meant that he knew his stuff about the Bible. He understood it. He knew it back to front. He knew the old laws. He knew what was right and what was wrong. He knew the black and the white. You see, then one night, Nicodemus wanted to come and have a chat with Jesus. And this opens up in John 3, and we read here. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again if they are old? Asked Nicodemus. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know And we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that anyone who believes in him shall have eternal life. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. You can probably take this in one of two ways. You can probably take it to mean that Nicodemus knew that Jesus was a busy guy. He was busy during the day and he wanted to have Jesus all to himself. So he'll go at night so that he can have complete freedom. He can chat to him for hours. Or it could be that Nicodemus probably wasn't meant to be seen with Jesus. Being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a member of the Sanhedrin, he shouldn't be taking this guy called Jesus seriously. He should be separating himself with him because they don't agree with what he's doing. And you see, he comes to Jesus and he wants to ask Jesus all these questions because he's heard about these miracles that Jesus is doing. Or he's seen a few things and and he wants Jesus to explain to him. So Jesus starts essentially breaking down the gospel But as a part of that, he's got to break down what Nicodemus currently knows and what he currently believes. Jesus mentions this being born again concept. Concept that I think if somebody mentioned that to me straight up out of nowhere, I think I would have been confused as well. But it kind of makes sense. You know, we're we're born once of flesh, but then to be born again within Jesus is to be born again through spirit and through water. And we saw that tonight with Annette's baptism. We saw tonight her spirit being born again in Jesus. And water and baptism is an outward symbol of us doing that. See, Nicodemus probably didn't go to Jesus thinking that he had a relationship with him. He went to Jesus in order to try and understand what was going on. But little did he know that this conversation, this, this initial meeting, could instigate such a deep change in his life. You see, the call to be in life-giving relationship and to be in life-giving relationship with Jesus is more than just receiving from Jesus. Jesus. It's also about us giving to those around us. So how is it done? It all starts with a seed. That night, during that conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, a seed was planted. And it's a term that if you've been in the church space for a while, you may have heard it before. You may have heard about this concept of planting a seed or of sharing your faith, but... We get scared every time it comes up. I still remember back to when um, when that person asked me what I was doing on the weekend, and I froze up. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how they would take it. This was someone who I worked with, and we were at a work training function. But I, you know, I kind of bit my lip and I said, "Okay, um, I'm going to go to church." on the weekend, that's what I do on the weekend, a lot of my Sundays taken up by church and, and on Friday night I'm probably gonna be at youth group for a few hours hanging out with some kids. And this surprised her. She didn't quite understand why I would do this. Why would I go out of my way to spend time at a church, something that she saw as being quite boring? Why would I go out of my way to hang out with young people when I could be doing things that are seen as being more fun or being better? But it's something as simple as opening up, something like that that can mean that a seed is planted. Sometimes I think that as believers, it's not that seed that actually scares us. The thing that scares us is putting it in the ground and walking away. You know, in today's world, we're so used to this sense of instant gratification. You know, I send someone a Snapchat or a text message or a Facebook message, and I expect to reply straight away. If you're not replying straight away, I'm probably going to be a little bit annoyed. If I'm posting a photo on Instagram or on Facebook, I'm probably expecting a few likes within a few minutes. I know it's probably not the right way to go about it, but it's how my brain's programmed. We're in a world where we want instant gratification. When we ask someone something, we want it to happen straight away. We don't like to wait. We've lost the art of patience. See, when we plant a seed, we want to see it grow. We want to see it blossom, but we don't want to do the waiting. The waiting can be the hardest part. See, Jesus planted that seed with Nicodemus, but Nicodemus didn't turn around straight away converted, believing fully in Jesus that he is our Lord and Saviour. We see Nicodemus another two times in the book of John, first in chapter seven, and this comes at a time when tensions keep rising. Jesus is performing more and more vi- uh, miracles. There's more and more things happening that's making the Pharisees think he's not a good guy. We should be staying clear from him. And someone like Nicodemus with his position, with his power, should be see- not be seen with Jesus. He shouldn't even be seen as an associate with Jesus. We come to verse 48 in chapter seven, and it says, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that comes knowing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who now just comes into the story, who had gone to be with Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, had said, Does our law not condemn a man without first hearing him or find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come of Galilee. You see, this doesn't seem like much. But this shows me that this seed that Jesus has planted is starting to take root. It's starting to lay down its roots and make a decision to look upwards. But Jesus wasn't there for that conversation. Jesus had planted that seed But he's not there to see it start doing anything yet. And I think that can be really hard for us sometimes. You know, we want that instant sense of something happening. But if I plan to seed or if I'm having an open conversation with someone, if I'm sharing my faith, I might not see the outcome of that. For weeks, months, years, I might never personally see the outcome of that. But that doesn't mean that God can't work through that. So, we need to be patient and expectant. See, if a seed decides to grow, if it's laid down its roots, if it's in a good condition, it can start to grow up. And it might take time, there might be some opposition getting through the soil, but eventually there can be breakthrough. There can be a sprout or a blossom. The last time we see Nicodemus in the book of John, it's just after Jesus had died. It's only brief, but I think this is where we can really see how much of a breakthrough has been had for Nicodemus. We read in verse 38, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two men wrapped, wrapped him with spices and with strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. I don't know about you, but 75 pounds seems like a lot of herbs and spices. I went into my pantry today, and this is a little pot of basil, and this weighs 10 grams. So I did a bit of research, I did a bit of maths, and I had to think and I thought, how much would 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh be? And I worked it out, and it works out to be about if this big box was completely full. If this big box was completely full of aloe vera and myrrh block, tied packed in there, that's probably about 75 pounds or 34 kilos for those who can't do the conversion in their head. 34 kilos of herbs. That seems like a lot. You know, when I did some further digging, I found out that, yes, this was traditional in Jewish burial customs, but usually it was about five pounds, about 2.2 kilos, what would fit in this box. And that a normal man, a normal Jew being buried would use this much but 75 pounds would be used for a king or of royalty. The breakthrough that Nicodemus has shown here is that he now wholeheartedly believes that Jesus is his king and he needs to be buried as one. Nicodemus doesn't have a very long story. We only see him three times and two of them are quite brief, but it's quite heavy. You see, Jesus planted that seed, but he wasn't there for the outcome. I've got an apple here. And I know that if I cut up an apple, I can count how many seeds are inside the apple. I cut up one earlier and there was like seven seeds inside it. Seven little seeds. You know, when a farmer wants to plant a crop, he plants thousands and thousands of seeds, knowing that each and every seed has the potential to grow into something more. But knowing that not each and every seed will or that he won't see each and every seed grow. You know, if a farmer plants a crop of of apple trees, He's not going to be there and check each and every apple and eat from each and every apple. But he knows that through planting the seeds that there's a chance that a tree will grow. Isn't it worth it for us to open up, to share, and to plant that seed just for the chance that something might happen? You see, I can cut open this apple and I can count the seeds inside and I can have that instant gratification of knowing, yes, there's seven seeds inside this apple, but no matter how much I try, no matter how hard I look, I can't count the amount of apples inside this seed. But God can. If I go and I plant this seed right now, I know that there is potential for an entire tree to grow. So why are we so afraid to plant it? Why are we so scared to wait patiently and expectant? See, I think it's because we know that if we plan something, something might happen, something might burst out, but we forget of its full potential. We forget that there might not just be breakthrough, but that that breakthrough might lead to more and more breakthrough. That tree might grow and grow, and here comes an apple, and another apple, and another apple, and another, each with seeds, with the amount of apples in them that we can't count. You see, the person that I had that conversation with I don't know what's come of that, and I might never know. But that's okay, because I believe that there is potential in that seed. I believe that God can use that seed and do incredible things. I'd like to invite the band to come back on stage. And I'd love to share with you this beautiful thing that Jesus said that first night that he was speaking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus had come in the night and, you know, Jesus had had shared the basics of the gospel with him, trying to explain spiritual things through earthly examples so Nicodemus could understand. But then he finished off summarizing the gospel and describing it in such a beautiful way in a verse that I think we've all heard before. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. See, because God planted a seed for us, because God so loved this world, he sent his son. And there might be opposition. It might take time. We might need to be patient and expectant. But whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have breakthrough, shall have eternal life. Let's not focus on how many seeds there are. Let's focus on the potential for apples. Because every seed we sow, every time we have an open conversation, every time we want to give life In our relationships, God is at work. And it might seem so little. It might seem to be so insignificant. But God can work through the tiniest of things and do amazing things. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for planted seeds. God, I wanna thank you that you are there in the midst of it all. I wanna thank you that even though we can't see what's happening underground, even though we can't see if roots have taken place, we know that you are there. Lord, I wanna pray that as a community through prayer that we can fertilize these seeds, that these seeds that are planted all around us can grow and grow. God, I want to thank you for the potential of your love and that you can work through that in amazing ways. Lord, I want to thank you for the story of Nicodemus and that we can learn so much through him, even though we only see him three times in such little ways in the Bible. God, you are bigger than we can ever know. I want to pray that tonight you can use us. I want to pray that you can stock our bags full of seeds that as we go out into this week, we are encouraged to plant little ones wherever we go. Wholeheartedly believing and expectant that through our patience, and through our prayer, you can do your work. Because I can count the seeds, but Lord, only you can count the apples.